many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Psalm 34, 19. Shalom. Greetings. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website is scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Well, we're starting a new study this morning. And it's the study of the book of Job. And if there's a title for it that we could uh, put on top of it, it would be, Why do the godly suffer? Why do the godly suffer? And in this study, it's going to be more about raising the question than answering it, but I hope that at the end we'll walk away with a little bit of a deeper understanding of not only the reality that God's people indeed do suffer in this world, uh, but that there's purpose in it. And I don't want to, one thing I want to avoid is giving any cliche answers as to why people suffer, why God's people specifically suffer, because as someone who's been in those deep, dark depths, none of those cliche answers satisfy, do they? In fact, when people give you the cliche answer when you're in the midst of severe suffering and anguish and mental despair, it doesn't comfort you, it enrages you because it feels as though the person that you're dealing with is not understanding or not caring about the pain that you're dealing with. And so hopefully I'll have opportunities to talk more about those kind of practical things from my own personal experiences, but I want the bulk of what we hear out of this series to come from God's Word. So let me give you a historical background real quick of Job then I'll give you a spiritual uh, introduction from Matthew Henry, and then we're going to read chapter 1. So, the historical background is that Job is in the form of a dramatic poem. Now, this used to be regarded in universities here in the United States as one of the greatest poetic pieces of work ever created. And it was... Uh, studied and and looked at carefully as such within universities and things of that nature. Of course, obviously now uh, that's not the case, but it's that's just something I wanted to put as a little side note. There's arguments that this is the oldest Bible of all the books in the Bible. And now, when we say oldest, we're not necessarily talking about um, order of events, what we're talking about is, as far as manuscript evidence goes, Job is one of the oldest books that exist, period. So it goes way, way back. It was certainly written, written before the giving of the law. Um, uh, here, I'm just reading this real quick. It says, it would have been impossible in a discussion covering the whole field of sin of the providential government of God and of man's relation to him to avoid all references to the law if the law had already been known. 
So there's there's arguments that this was written before the law, maybe during the time of Abraham. Um, Job is broken up into seven kind of poetic parts. So you've got a prologue, which was what we're getting ready to read um, in chapter one today. You have a, the kind of the story of Job and his wife. Then you kind of have this thing back and forth with Job and his three friends. Then Job and Elihu. And then, of course, Jehovah and Job, where God kind of clears things up. And then you have Job's final response and then an epilogue. And that's kind of how it ends up getting broken down. Um, it's believed that all the events recorded in the book of Job were over a period of about 12 months. Um, so it's about a year t- year of his life, which when you're dealing with the things that Job was dealing with is a long time. I realize that I'm rambling and setting the stage here and it's taking a few minutes. Let me read one more thing to you and then we're going to get into the meat of it here. So this book, this is Matthew Henry's take on it. This book is so called from Job, whose prosperity, afflictions, and restoration are here recorded. He lived soon after Abraham or or perhaps before that patriarch. Most likely it was written by Job himself, and it is the most ancient book in existence. The instructions to be learned from the patience of Job and from his trials are as useful now and as much needed as ever. We live under the same providence. We have the same chastising father. And there is the same need for correction unto righteousness. The fortitude and patience of Job, though not small, gave way in his severe troubles. But his faith was fixed upon the coming of his Redeemer. And this gave him steadfastness and consistency through every other dependence. Particularly the pride and the boast of self-righteous spirit was tried and consumed. Another great doctrine of faith, particularly set forth in the book of Job, is that of providence. It is plain from his history that the Lord watched over his servant Job with the affection of a wise and loving father. So there's your introduction to set the stage. Now let's read Job chapter 1. Job 1, King James Bible, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. So please note, right out of the gate, to set the stage, the book wants you to know that Job was a very upright man. In fact, he was almost perfect. It says that he was a perfect and upright man. And he feared God and he, he hated, he despised evil. Verse 2. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep and three thousand camels and five hundred yoke of oxen and five hundred she-asses and a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and fastened in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. 
So please note. So he's this upright man who fears God, who hates evil. He has seven sons and three daughters. So he's been blessed with children. Furthermore, his substances are very large to the point where he was the greatest man wealth-wise in all the East. And then his sons decided they were going to have a feast. So he's got his seven sons and they invited their sisters over. So all of his children in one house, one place. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. That's an important verse to note also. Job was very, very concerned about the spiritual well-being of his children. He was offering sacrifices because he thought he feared, what if they have sinned and cursed God in their hearts? And so Job, Job did this continuously where he, would, where he would rise up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings. Do you see the character of this man? He fears God. He's a great father who's... In, interceding on his child, for his children every single day with the Lord. Try to, this is important. I'm not trying to beat, beat this to death. But I want you to understand that Job was in prayer for his kids every day. Because that's going to make what happens to him and his children all the more difficult to understand. F.B. Meyer says this about Job. He says, Job is introduced as a man of large possessions, highly honored by all who knew him. And of impeccable integrity towards God, his piety was specially evident in his anxiety he experienced for his children. Lest any of them should renounce or say farewell to God, what an example this is for parents. We should pray for each child by name, and like Job, we should do so continually. So Job's doing all the right things, right? He's checking all the right boxes. Now, verse 6. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Please note that phrase, the sons of God, B'nai Elohim, speaks of angelic beings, obviously, Job makes that clear because they're presenting themselves before the Lord and Satan, who is also an angelic being, is among them. This is the same phrase used in Genesis chapter 6 where it says, And the sons of God came down and intermingled with the women. And uh, Job is one of the examples I use to prove that we're talking about angelic powers. Uh, but you can see that clearly here. So these angels have, a, have presented themselves before the Lord. Satan's with them. Verse 7. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord, and he said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Please note, I apologize for the constant interruptions. A couple things to take note of. 
Number one, Satan obviously has, at this point in time anyway, has the ability to appear to still come to the throne room of God. He has the appear the ability of going to and fro and wandering the earth. Satan's name in Hebrew means the adversary. And God knows he's the adversary because he's probably been doing this for a long time, at least since the uh, Garden of Eden. I've heard it said by teachers before that God's like pointing Job out to Satan. Like, have you cons- That's not how this is being phrased. He's not, God's not saying, have you considered Job? Why don't you go torment him for a little bit? No, God understands the thoughts and intents of the heart. He knows that Satan's doing that, and so he's asking him, are you considering my servant Job? Like, he's asking the question before Satan has a chance to answer it. That's the way I believe this is being phrased. So God's like, have you considered my servant Job? And then God describes what Job is like. That there is none like him in the earth. A perfect and upright man who that feareth God and escheweth evil. God is saying, Job, when it comes to people and their and their behavior, he there's no one like him. So even God acknowledges this. Verse 9. Then Satan answereth the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord. So Satan's response to God is, well, yeah, of course he walks upright and fears God and uh, because you've protected him from everything. You've put this mighty hedge of protection about him. You've blessed and prospered his hands. He's the most powerful guy in the, all of the East. This is why he serves you. This is why he behaves the way he does because you've made it so easy for him. It's essentially what Satan's saying and God's saying, okay, Let's see if that's true. And he says you can touch his possessions. Right? If you think it's about all the possessions that he has, let's I, I give you the ability uh, to take them away from him. Notice that Satan has to ask for permission. Satan doesn't just get to go terrorize Job. He has to get the okay from God. I think this is still true today. You remember when Jesus tells Peter, hey, Satan's asking for you by name. Well, why would Satan need to ask for Peter by name? Because Peter belongs to God. And so do you and I. And he is sovereign over our lives. And that's important to know and have in your heart, especially when hard times come. If they're coming... And it's not because you made foolish decisions, right? Like if you're suffering for Christ, if you're suffering because of your relationship with God, God has allowed this. Let's continue on. We're ready for verse 13. And there was a day 
when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabims fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. So, Job's kids are all at the eldest brother's house. A servant of Job comes and says, All the oxen are dead. Okay? Like this terrible event took place. Verse 16, While he was yet speaking, try to understand the magnitude of this. Try to put yourself in Job's shoes for a second here. He's getting some really horrible news about his uh, wealth right now. While he's receiving that news, while that guy is still speaking, verse 16, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God hath fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another also then said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men. And they are dead, and only I am escaped, alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. By the way, that is an interesting response, is it not? Here's what Job just discovered. All of his livestock has been killed through these like three separate wild and unlikely events and his children are dead we've all heard and used the statement when it rains it pours right if, if those of you who are in the United States you know what I'm talking about it's a it's a phrase that just simply means like once one thing happens it seems like there's it all you just watch out because there's a handful of more coming or uh, there's like this theory you know that things happen in threes right like it's not going to be just the one thing there's going to be a couple more this is that on steroids but it's interesting that it, that we've that that life happens in that way so much that we have cute little phrases for it right like when it rains it pours it's because this has been the experience of the human condition you see, God has pulled that hedge, and he has his purposes for it, and we can't possibly understand it when it happens to us, but for this moment, for this purpose, God has pulled that hedge, and the hedge is pulled, and Satan doesn't just go cause a little bit of drama, does he? He goes in and destroys everything that Job holds dear, and Job's response Oh that we could, Oh that we could be this godly 
so that he shaved his head, rent his clothes, and he fell down on his knees and worshipped God. Two more verses. He said, Naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of Jehovah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Baruch Abba Shem Yahweh. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. I've misbehaved and not giving God the proper honor and respect that he deserves over circumstances and events in my life that are much less than what Job has just experienced. And admittedly, when I read Job's response here, I feel shame about my own responses at times. Job is going to be a great example for us, I think. And in some ways, not so much. He's, you're gonna, we're going to see he's not completely perfect. But he refuses. He refuses to, to talk foolishly about the Lord. Well, that is our study for this morning. I pray in the powerful name of Jesus that you've been blessed. And I hope that, and pray that this series would really touch and pierce some hearts. And, uh, yeah. So there you have it. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for your support. Those of you who support this podcast, it's 100% listener supported. Thank you for praying for me and my family. And I just, uh, it's far beyond what I deserve. Thanks for listening. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.